Okay, if you want to find a seat and uh, grab your Bibles and open up to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Thank you, thank you. Excited to uh, just take a little break from our Timothy teaching through 1 Timothy. And uh, just felt the Lord leading us to Genesis 22 today. As uh, you open up there, chapter 22, and uh, for the sake of time, we won't read through it uh, yet. We'll just read through it as we work through it today. Let's pray before we get into the word. Uh, Lord, it's uh, good to be together on this Lord's Day and uh, on this Father's Day. It's good to be in your word and to be in a passage that just so clearly and easily speaks the name of Jesus and points us towards Jesus Christ coming and the hope that we have in him. Uh, Lord, it's uh, it's kind of our typical June outdoor service, Lord, where we debate canceling it and, um, and uh, could be six one way, half dozen another, Lord, but here we are and we're glad to be out in the beauty of your creation. Think of what Spurgeon said of how Jesus would teach outside and just those natural amphitheaters and a preacher could have no better pulpit than just uh, being outside. And so, Lord, just pray that as the gospel goes forth from Genesis 22, you would just speak to men and women's hearts, maybe as they're walking by, driving by, Lord, you would draw them into here. And Lord, you would just fix our hearts attentively on the scripture today that we could hear you and see you and be changed by you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, hopefully you have your Bible with you. If not, you can look on with someone next to you. Uh, In Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And so we start out with just after these things. And it's actually an important little phrase there in verse 1, after these things, because it leads up to what a big deal This chapter is going to be after these things, after what things? Well, we're in the book of Genesis and we're only in chapter uh, 22. So not a lot has happened in the history of the world at that point. Uh, And yet a lot has happened in Abraham's life. Uh, Everything from in chapter 15 verses one through six, where we see the Lord appearing to Abram back when his name was Abram, missing the H and uh, and just just declaring his promise over Abraham's life 
uh, that, that he was his shield and that he would be his exceedingly great reward and that he would make him a father of many nations. And, and you know, Abraham kind of balked at that and scoffed at that because he was about, you know, 85 years old and had never had any children. And his wife was an older gal who was barren as well. And how are we going to be the father of many nations? How are we going to have descendants when we've never been able to have kids and we're getting to become ancient, you know, ancient of days in the old Abraham home. And the Lord just says, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. It's my promise towards you. And this incredible verse is spoken of there that Abraham believed the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Uh, as it goes on in Abraham's life, he uh, shares with his wife the wonderful promise of the Lord and she laughs and scoffs and mocks that how would I ever even know pleasure in my old age? Would I even, this is not going to be happening. Uh, you know, you're, the, the Lord, there was some miscommunication. There were some lines crossed when the Lord was speaking to you. But I do have this beautiful maidservant, you know, Hagar. And uh, just hear me out, Abraham, just hear me out. Um, just an idea just came to me. You know, why don't you lie with her and you guys can have a child and then we'll kind of adopt him and keep him in the house. And, and that can be who the promise, you know, that, that, that must have been what the Lord met. And Abraham just said, yeah, I think you're right on that one. So they went ahead and, you know, went on with that plan. And we all know how that worked out that Hagar and Abraham did conceive and bear a child, a boy, a young man, an awesome man. He would come grow up to be also a father of nations. Um, and uh, his name was Ishmael. And, uh, and yet the Lord would go on to say to Abraham, that's not, that's not at all what I meant. That's not who the promise is going to be from. But the promise is going to be through Sarah, through your wife. That it, I'm going to work something great here. Just hold on. Just watch. I'm going to work a miracle. I'm going to bring glory to my name. And I will cause descendants to come from you. Uh, that would number the sand of the seashore. And, and through your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Later on, uh, after uh, the Lord, I think it's Genesis chapter 18. Um, the Lord uh, shows up again uh, underneath a terebinth tree and speaks to Abraham again. And just renews the promise and says, hey, within a year... There's going to be a little boy running around here. Within a year's time, there's going to be there's going to be a little a little guy. You know, in fact, his name's going to be called Isaac, and he's going to be running around here one year's time. And as Abram and the Lord were having a conversation, Sarah was listening from the tent, and she chuckles, she laughs within her. You know, oh, seriously again with this? You know, like this is not going to be happening. And it's kind of a humorous story because the Lord says, "Why did Sarah laugh?" You know, this is no joke. Why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah said, I didn't laugh. And the Lord said, but you did laugh. You know, don't argue with God. Like typically doesn't go real well, you know, and then you get publicly humiliated and it gets written down in a Bible. It's going to be passed down through the world. It's going to be a bestseller, you know, for thousands of years. And, and it gets written down what you said. So don't argue with the Lord. But the Lord was certainly true. Because uh, by the time you get uh, through chapters 18, 19, 20, 
and 21 of the book of Genesis, a lot happens. Everything from Abraham interceding for Sodom, that Sodom and Gomorrah would not be destroyed, to Sodom being destroyed and the rescue of Lot and his family, them fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah. Everything from in chapter 20, Abraham lying about Sarah to Abimelech and uh, that whole drama, that soap opera that happened there in Genesis chapter 20. Finally, in chapter 21, this son is born. And if you'll just flip back a chapter, we'll look at verses one through seven where it says, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Some of the best words in the scripture. In fact, as you read through the book of Matthew, it's time and time again where it says, just as the Lord had said, just as the Lord had said, just as the Lord had said. And you know what? The promises of the Lord are yes and amen. You know, what he says goes just as the Lord had said. And it happened as he had said, just as he'd spoken. The Lord did for Sarah just as he'd spoken. Look at verse two. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. I'm going to be honest with you. I've got four kids. The youngest one turns two next month. The oldest one is 11 and a half. And I am worn out. In fact, just about two years ago, when Tatum was born, our little girl, I was holding her in, you know, the night she was born and, you know, just remembering this is the fourth and there we are. And you guys remember that time, right? You're there. It's the, it's nighttime. You're with this fresh baby. It's her first night. She starts crying. You're changing those little black diapers. You know what I'm talking about? And I had this thought. And at the time I was 35 and I had the thought, I'm too old for this. <laughs> I live, I, no offense to anybody who's not even started yet, you know, in your, in your mid forties, but just at that age, 35, 36, can't, you know, and I just, I, I just panicked a little bit. Like I'm too, I, what am I, oh, this, oh no, oh, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm too old for this. And it's true. I was, it's, you know, and, and we're just tight, you know, we're just, it's not any one child that's wearing us out. It's all four of them, you know, and we're just like, you know, just appealing to the grace of the Lord for sure. Um, now imagine, and of course it's different for everybody and you all have your stories and some of you, it's, it's great. Praise God what he's doing in your life. I think the Kurs are about to have their uh, fifth come in here soon. No? Okay, no. Not, not. False alarm? False alarm. Um, but imagine being Abraham and Sarah here. We're talking 90 and 100 years old when the Lord works his promise out. And he's, you know, he's holding them at night, changing the black diapers and going, I think, I think there's been some mistake, you know. Anyways, comedy hour's over. Um... But you got to feel for them, right? But no, they're, of course, they're thrilled and they're excited and the promise is happening. And, and Sarah says, verse six of chapter 21, God has made me laugh. We're laughing here, right? Because it goes on to say, and all who hear will laugh with me. 
Like, this is incredible. It's not a joke. It's wonderful. It's the fulfillment of a promise. It's God doing a miracle, doing something above and beyond what we could think. And she says, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I've borne him a son in his old age. So that's kind of the story leading up to chapter 22. That's kind of what causes us to reflect for a minute and say, you know, it came to pass after these things. After what things? After just the drama of Abram and Sarah's life of being barren and being old in age. And then the Lord God creator speaks this promise of descendants and generations and and the numbers of stars in the sky and someone coming from them that would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And and what is this promise? Lord, you've got to be joking. And the Lord brings it to pass. And they named him Isaac, as the Lord said to call him Isaac, which means laughter. Such a wonderful, joyous thing to have this little baby Isaac. And after these things happened, some time went by, possibly up around 30 to 33, maybe even up into 37 years has gone by. By the time we get here to verse one, when the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham. And he calls on Abraham because he intends to test Abraham. Abraham might have been thinking that perhaps the storms have blown over in his life. You know, I'm 100 years old. I'm 130 years old. I've been through a lot of stuff and I've seen things. And, and my life's probably going to be smooth sailing from now. And I've got my, my boy and it's all going to be good. But biblically, you know what? Just because you've gone through a lot of trials doesn't mean that, you know, you've, you've served your time and it's over. You know, the Lord is a God that tests the preciousness of the faith of his people. And he's going to do this in Abraham's life. That's what he does. You know, when you hear people say that Christianity and faith is a crutch, it's really true. And I don't mind saying it. Not only is it my crutch, it's my wheelchair, it's my ambulance, it's my ER, you know. Um, But, you know, the Lord doesn't just make the smooth sailing because we have faith. He, He allows us to go through the times of the refiner's fire so that we would remember our dependence on him and continue to trust in him. Everything from Moses trying to escape Egypt and cross the Red Sea to Joshua in the walls of Jericho to David conquering Goliath, Gideon and his 300 men conquering the Midianites and their army that's the number of the sand of the seashore. Things The Lord allows us to go through things that don't fit with our proper human reasoning. He puts our faith to the test. And I'm not sure that there's a single example in the Old Testament that does quite what Genesis 22 does when Abraham's faith is put to the test. As we go on here, as he says, here I am, Lord. And we get into verse 2. He said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. 
And so here we have the test. What, what's the test, Lord? What are, you, what are you thinking? You know, let's hear it. He says, you know that little laughter that you've got, that son, that lad, Isaac, I want you to kill him. <laughs> you know, I want you to kill him. There you go. That's the test. <laughs> I hope you're pondering that for a second. Consider all that Abraham has been through the last, you know, number of years. And to have this be the test, the test that it's to appear, is God still enough for you, Abraham? Is God still enough? In fact, is he more than enough? Is God still better than everything that you could ever want or hope or desire or have? In fact, do you love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? Do you love him more than you even love this boy, Isaac? Now, God knew that he didn't want to take Isaac's life and that he wasn't going to take Isaac's life, but Abraham didn't know that. And it was here that Abraham's heart was going to be put to the test. You see, God is a great giver. He's really not a great taker. He's a great giver. Most of the struggles in our life as Christians is because we view God as a taker, someone who just wants to take, take, take from us. But, but the word tells us he's a giver, giver, giver. He is gracious. But when the gifts that he has given us become greater than he is in our heart, greater than the gift giver, then that wonderful thing he's given us has become an idol. And that dog just won't hunt. That just won't do for the Lord. He won't share his glory with another. And so here as we come to the test, we come to this incredible verse that if you just look down at verse 2 again, there's some key phrases and there's some beautiful phrases in this verse that just would cause your heart to leap. When God is describing Abraham's love for his son. In fact, as we read it and as we get into this story, we're going to be getting into what the what theologians call a type, a type within scripture. It's also known as a foreshadowing, and it's kind of like a symbol of things to come. Listen to what Webster's Dictionary, uh, how it defines a type. Okay, a type is a person or thing, especially in the Old Testament, believed to foreshadow another thing as in the New Testament. It was Augustine that said that the Old Testament has within it the New Testament concealed. Okay, so whenever you go to read your Old Testament, and I know if you're like me out there, you've struggled sometimes reading the Old Testament. Just remember, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed in there. It's kind of hidden, but it's in there. And you just got to have eyes to see that Old Testament is it's foreshadowing the New Testament. And then Augustine said, and then the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. 
reveals to us all that all that was talking about. Now it totally makes sense because of the New Testament. And so we have, as you read the Old Testament, types or foreshadowings. It's kind of like when you watch the movie The Wizard of Oz, how the entire time the storm symbolizes high emotions and occurs whenever these emotions are present. There's a type in there or there's a symbolism in the movie trilogy Star Wars, or it's more than a trilogy now. I don't know what it is, a sixology or a ninology or whatever it is. I can't keep track. I kind of fall asleep. No offense, Russell. Um, But in Star Wars, Luke is dressed in light colors and Darth Vader is dressed in black, showing good versus evil. In Hansel and Gretel, bread symbolizes comfort and bread crumbs symbolize the way home. In the Lone Ranger, that's right, I just saw your ears pick up. In the Lone Ranger, silver bullets represent justice by law. If you've seen or read the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, and I'm going to read from the uh, actually BBC news source. They did an article on the Chronicles of Narnia and C.S. Lewis where they say Aslan is a literary Christ figure who plays a pivotal role in the story of Narnia. Just as Jesus Christ is central to the Christian faith. C.S. Lewis explained in a letter to Arthur Greaves in October 1931 that he set out his story of Aslan as a retelling of the actual incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. Lewis does not tell us what Jesus Christ is like in the Chronicles of Narnia. He shows us what Aslan is like and allows us to take things from there by ourselves. Uh, It goes on to say uh, that C.S. Lewis told a fifth grade class in Maryland in 1954, let us suppose that there were a land like Narnia and that the Son of God, as he became a man in our world, became a lion there. And then imagine what would happen as the drama unfolded. Okay, so what we have as we read this Genesis 22 is a type, uh, is a picture, is a foreshadowing of something to come. And if you will flip over to Luke 24, look at verse 25, Luke 24, 25, or if you're a high techie and you're getting with it and you've got your proclaim app opened up, that'll just flip up on your phone for you and it's already there. In Luke 24, 25, Jesus is resurrected and he's talking to the two on the road to Emmaus. And it says, Jesus said to them, O foolish one and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. That is an epic verse there in Luke chapter 24 because the resurrected Jesus is 
going back with these men and he's going to Genesis. And in this little special Bible study that he had with these guys, he went to Genesis 22. And he's like, guys, all that was prophesied had to happen, that the Christ had to suffer and die and rise from the dead. The Old Testament concealed it. Here, let me go there with you. And he went to Genesis chapter 22 and he told the story that we're going to go through today. And he went through the book of Exodus and the Passover lamb passage and the redemption out of Egypt and, and the manna in the wilderness and the rock being split in two and living water coming out of it and so on and so forth and so on and so forth. And these guys, it goes on to say in Luke that their minds were opened so that they could comprehend the scriptures. And that's always my prayer for you guys, that your minds would be open to be able to comprehend Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And to see that it's pointing to something incredible, a hero, a champion. And so let's look at that. And so as you look at verse 2 in Genesis chapter 22, do you begin to already see familiar language that foreshadows one who is to come? Let's read it again. I've got to go back. Verse 2. Take now your son. Happy Father's Day, by the way. It's all you get in the Father's Day message is that a son and a father are mentioned. Boom. Okay. But take now your son. Okay. We got a son. Your only son. His father has an only son whom you love. Okay, so that's special. He's going to go to the land of Moriah, and we're going to see how that's special in a foreshadowing. And he is to offer up his only son as a burnt offering, which speaks of totally and completely offering him up in the land and the mountain that he will tell him. So this is all a type. It's a type Especially as we remember one of our favorite Bible memory verses that God so loved the world that he gave and offered up his only son. God so loved the world that he offered up his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. In 1 John chapter 4 verse 9, it says, in this is the love of God that was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. So as much as Abraham loved his son and was willing to offer up his son, God the father loved his son but he had even a greater plan than just being comfortable with the Son in heaven for all eternity and blessed Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He had a greater plan because there was something else that God the Father loved as well. Loved enough to even lay down his Son's life. And what did he love or whom did he love? He loved the world. He so loved the world. Look around as you see people drive by and walk by. As you look around this park, think about this. He loves you. He loves us. 
In this, the love of God is manifest toward us. That God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we could live. This was his son whom he loved. As we read the story of Abraham, this word love that you see, it's the first time this word love is used in the Bible. The first time the word love is used in the Bible is speaking of sacrificial love. Sacrificial laying down of a son. In Romans chapter 8 verse 31, we read, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It says, If he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? And so as we read of a great love of a father Abraham to his son Isaac, and as we read today in typology of the great love of the father, even towards his son Jesus, but even so towards us, the world, when you consider that kind of love, that kind of sacrificial love, You need to consider what that means for us. If he did not spare his own son, but willingly gave him up for all of us, how can we not trust him? How can we not believe in him? How can we not commit our lives and our families and our possessions and our careers and our futures to him? He gave his own son for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? If he gave his own son for us, how is it not also in his will that he would freely give us all things? He is for us. I got to tell you, it's really difficult not to jump ahead and to tell the whole future story. I've just all weekend, I've been like, I want to be able to kind of leave it hanging a little bit so that we're talking about Abraham and Isaac and then just boom at the end. It's all about God, the father. It's all about Jesus and the sacrifice on the cross. And uh, I just don't know how to do it. I just don't know how to, to like bait you guys enough to just kind of keep you coming with me. So, so I hope you're following along already that as we're reading about Abraham and Isaac, we're really reading about God the Father and His Son Jesus and a sacrifice that would take place a couple thousand years later in the same area. He says it's to go there to the land of Moriah. The land of Moriah. A three days journey off. Now wouldn't it be one thing for the Lord to say, take this promised child and kill him right here and now. Just next time you see him, just jump from behind a tent and just take him out, you know? Just get it over with, boom, done, like that, it's over. Yeah, I did it, Lord, I obeyed. That's not how it was. Take your son and walk for three days with him and really think about what's gonna happen and what it's gonna be like and what you're really gonna do. And maybe over the course of three days, You're going to try to come up with a different plan or go a different direction. It's going to be a test for you. Go three days and offer him up as a burnt offering. And so here we see a test of Abraham's faith to the extreme. 
In the Hebrew, this language is even more emphatic than we can imagine. Take your son, take your only son, you love that son, and kill that son is essentially what we're reading here. Again, happy Father's Day. It's like, boy, that was the weirdest Father's Day message I ever heard. Like, I'm not quite sure. There were mixed messages in that message for me today. Had an exhausted father pastor telling me to take my son. No, it's nothing like that. It's not where I'm going with it. But what did God know that Abraham didn't know? He wasn't going to have him go through with it. God wasn't going to let Abraham kill Isaac. And I begin to look at this story and I don't even know what faith is in my life. I feel like reading this, I've not even ever dipped my toe in the pool of faith to have to step out like this. But maybe you have. And certainly we will. Certainly we'll go through things that when the rubber meets the road, we have a couple decisions. We can either trust the Lord, which means being obedient to what he's calling us to and putting us through. Or we can trust in ourself and our comfort and our human reasoning and common sense. And we'll disobey the Lord because this just seems better to me. Many of you know my older sister, Heather. She is... Uh, couple years older than me, two years older than me, and she's single. She's uh, never really had a serious boyfriend, and she's just kept herself for the Lord and been a servant of the Lord, and her whole life has been serving Jesus since she was uh, in high school, serving Jesus and being faithful. She's in ministry. She's in full-time ministry. She's on paid staff at Calvary Chapel Corvallis, and is about a 38-year-old It was a year and a half ago that the Lord brought a man into her life. His name's Joseph, and he's a a more recent believer. Just in the last couple years, he was radically saved out of uh, just a, a history of drug use. And the Lord just saved him radically, delivered him. Now he's also in ministry at the church and is part of the recovery ministry. And they began to date about a year ago. And they've just been, and he's just this handsome, good looking guy, so cool, so funny, so passionate for Jesus. You know, they go to uh, an event like a demolition derby in Lakeview or something. And, and, uh, and, and he's just like, I can't sit here and watch these cars when people around me are dying and going to hell. I got to get up and go tell people about Jesus. So he gets up and sh- they see him over there preaching to a state trooper over there, you know, and he's over here. And they just, for their dates, they go witness at the riverfront in Corvallis. They're, they're all about serving Jesus. And uh, because she trusts her brother, Rory, I encouraged not pre-marriage counseling, but pre-engagement counseling. And so they've gone through the six-week pre-engagement counseling. They're not even engaged yet. He's got a ring picked out. He's got a date picked out. It's so exciting. Just, you know, we just, our whole life, it's kind of like the Abraham and, I, uh, and Sarah and Isaac. And here comes this guy and he's a hunk and he's cool. And I'm going to have this cool brother-in-law. And, you know, it just, this is going to be great. Until within the last month, he's been getting very nauseous and throwing up and swelling up and having allergic reactions and having fevers that are like no fevers he's ever had before. 
And as he went into the emergency room this last week, it caused the doctor to want to use uh, and do more and more tests. And by the end of the week, we came to find out that Joseph has Hodgkin's disease. Now, if you know anything about me over the last couple of years, you know that that is the very cancer that my dad had when I was in fifth grade. And I had to watch my dad go through various rounds of chemotherapy, radiation, reoccurrences, bone marrow transplants. I had to be separated from my dad as a little kid. I had to watch him lose his hair. And eventually, when I was in seventh grade, a doctor told us that the cancer had spread and that none of the treatments were working and that my dad needed to go home and get ready to die. Now, as a seventh grader, for me, something incredible happened as I watched Jesus heal my dad from cancer. And one day, we went and got prayer at a local church in Washington. And that day, Jesus healed my dad of cancer. All the tumors in his lymph nodes were gone. And what we call Dr. Death, the deliverer of the bad news, didn't have any explanation except, you know, an act of God. But it was an act of God. It wasn't the chemotherapy or the radiation. And my mom and my sisters have always been so sensitive to hospitals and going into hospitals and watching any movies that have anything to do with hospitals or cancer patients. It's just a hard spot in their heart, a tough spot, a sensitive spot, a tender spot. So if you know that's part of our story and then you hear that our Isaac, who's come into our life, our new laughter, we're talking possibly in August Wedding has Hodgkin's disease. But you know what he's doing with that? This Jesus freak Joseph, he's saying, bring it on, Lord. None of his family are Christians. They are hostile toward the gospel. And he says, if suffering is going to bring you any glory or will soften my family so that they can see that I will suffer well with a trust in the Lord, then bring it, Lord. I want to be spent. I want to be used well for you. And so currently, my family's kind of going towards a Mount Moriah in our life, a, a time that's going to cause and need trust in the Lord. We're going to kind of breeze through the story here, and I just want you to have your eyes picked fixed on a couple different things. One thing is, how is this pointing and foreshadowing of Jesus? How is this story making me think of Jesus? And secondly, what is the Lord speaking in my life and bringing application to where he is calling me to sacrifice something in my life that is my Isaac, it's my laughter, it's my hope, it's everything I've been working for. I can't imagine my life without this person, place, or thing, whatever it might be. Do you trust the Lord today? Do you trust the Lord? And are you willing to just say whatever it is, even as the psalmist says, Though he slay me, still I will trust him. And that's Abraham. Let's move on. The test has been laid out and now we see the trust in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So one other time that we read of just a couple chapters ago in Abraham's life, 
when the Lord told him to take Ishmael and to, to, to have Ishmael leave, the Lord obeyed by waking up early in the morning. Now he's waking up with his other son and he's taking Isaac, an early morning rising. Matthew Henry said, you need to note that those who do the will of God heartily will do it speedily. While we delay, time is lost and the heart is hardened. So in the night, take your son, your only son, who you love and go kill him. What does he do? The very next morning he arises early and just goes towards obedience. And so he did that. He walked out in obedience. He let emotion be ruled over by his will in obeying the Lord. As John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, wrote in another hymn, he cannot have taught us to trust in his name and thus far have brought us to leave us in shame. For each tender mercy we hold in review confirms his sure promise to see us right through. I just trust the Lord, his sure promise. He's going to see us right through. I'm going to trust in him. So he gets up, saddles the donkey, splits the wood and gets out of there. In fact, it seems and mostly everything I've read is that he grabs his son and he goes. And there's not a lot of talk to Sarah about where he's heading. Perhaps Sarah wouldn't have let it happen. Perhaps the workers around him wouldn't have let it happen. And he says, you know what? We just got to get this done. And so they begin to walk. And verse four says, on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. So three days of walking, three days of pondering, three days of thinking. What is it going to be like to kill my son? Am I really going to do this? Did I really hear the Lord right? Think of what this means for my family, for my prodigy, for the promise of God and the descendants after me. Think of what this means for the nations around me and how they'll view me. This guy had a promise of God and God brought him a son. That's the guy that killed that son. Three days of thinking over those things. And he looks up and there's the place afar off. Verse 5, and Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And listen to this last little phrase. And we will come back to you. Think about that. We will come back to you. So he leaves his servant some distance off, probably thinking, man, if they watch what I'm going to do to my son, they're going to think I'm loony. They're going to stop me. They're going to, you know... I mean, Isaac is my darling. They're not going to let me just kid. Something's happened. You know, he's got that Alzheimer's stuff that's starting to show up, you know, around Beersheba, you know, and he's gone loony. He's gone weird. No, you guys are going to stay back. Uh, We're going to go worship, but we will return. This is also the first place in the Bible where the word worship is used. And, you know, it's true that when we understand the story of Abraham and the sacrifice of his son on Mount Moriah and what it foreshadows, then we too will be able to worship for the first time in our lives. We'll become worshipers as we know of the great sacrificial love of the father and the son. Look in verse six. So Abraham took the wood of 
the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Anything kind of popping out to you guys as you're reading this that is a type of the story to come, the story of Jesus? The father takes the wood and lays it on his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. So Isaac is now carrying the wood on which he will soon be sacrificed. Of course, your mind goes to John 19, 17, where it says of Jesus, and he bearing his cross went out to the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. We often call it Calvary, Mount Calvary, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. So Isaac put the wood on his back and he carried it up Mount Moriah. And some 2000 years later, I can't help but give you the spoil alert. Mount Moriah is the same mountain where Calvary is, where Jesus packed his cross and carried the wood of his sacrifice 2,000 years after Isaac. There's a song that I've known since high school that has a lyric, he walked the hill, he bore the cross. This is love. This is love. So while Isaac bore the wood up Mount Moriah, Abraham had fire and a knife in his hand. And this is a picture of God's vengeance against sin. Eyes that burn hot with justice and judgment against sin and the need for a necessary sacrifice. Isaac's body typifies Jesus's body as we partake of communion today the body a picture or rather the bread a picture of the body of Jesus that was broken and crushed for our sins you guys remember Jason Luker who we just sent on the Madras team up to Madras Jason Luker I'll never forget Jason sharing about communion years ago sorry for the reverb I'm trying to keep that right distance if I go here or here so I don't know Uh, I just remember Jason Luker praying over communion and speaking about the bread, that the bread was the sponge that absorbed the wrath of God towards sinners. I just always think of that as I take communion. Now, the bread, the, the body of Jesus was the sponge that absorbed the wrath of God towards sinners. And Isaac is about to have the knife And the fire put to his body, symbolizing the future Jesus, whose body was the sponge absorbing the wrath of God. Look at verse 7 with me. You guys are doing great. You're strong, hearty, central Oregonians bundling up. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father... And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Hey, dad, something's a little fishy here. You know, 
We got everything except for really the main dish. You know, everything except for the main, you know, uh, entree. You know, and uh, I just remember the Tom and Jerry cartoons, you know, where uh, Tom's chasing Jerry around, you know, with the hammer and the hatchet and the, the lighter fluid and, and, you know, he ends up lighting himself on fire, you know, and he asks the question, hey, Jerry, do you smell something burning, you know, what's for dinner, you know, and, and Jerry looks over and says, it's you, bub, you know, and uh, it's kind of what's going on, not really, not at all, actually, um, but he's, you know, he's saying, hey, what, what, you know, hey, what's going on here, where's the lamb? And Abraham said in verse 8, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went up together. Think of this. Look back at verse 7 where you hear Isaac speak to his dad after a three-day journey of contemplation of killing. And he says, My father... My father, does that point to anything in your guys' mind? Of course, Jesus. But what a melting word that was, my father. And then you have Abraham speak back, my son. And then he speaks this wonderfully prophetic word here. God will provide for himself the lamb and get ready, if you've got a pen, you might just underline or make a mark in your Bible. Literally in the Hebrew, this phrase is translated, God will provide himself the lamb. He will be the lamb. As we're going up, is this is, I mean, this might happen here. There might be a death here today, probably will be. But don't worry. God's faithful and he will provide himself as the lamb. Let's keep going. Verse 10 and Abraham stretched out his hand. Oh, I think I skipped a verse here. Verse uh, Verse 9, they came to the place of which they had told him and Abraham built an altar there. And placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and and laid him on the altar upon the wood. So the question must be asked, how does a 130-year-old man after a three-day hike get his son bound and laid upon an altar so he can kill him? his 30, 33-year-old son. It must be assumed that Isaac, obedient to Abraham, trusting in Abraham's God, Abraham's God was Isaac's God, willingly laid his life down on the wood. Again, a picture of Jesus. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down myself. As Isaac, this 33-year-old lad, it says. If there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, yours be done. And so he lets Father Abraham bind him and lay him upon the wood. Verse 10, and Abraham 
Oh, there's so much I want to share with you, so much in my heart to share with you today, but it just can only do so much on a cold, cold park service day. But um, one thing is just that in James, it says that that moment where Abraham's bound his son and is ready to plunge the knife down, it says, James chapter two, that Abraham was justified by works at that moment. Now, we're not justified by works, but he's saying his faith was shown right there through his works. As he was obedient to go about the task of killing his son. So he takes the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And so he said, <laughs> here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on that lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear me since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. As you study the scriptures, there's certain times when you read of the angel of the Lord and it's called a Christophany in the Old Testament. And what it is, is it's a picture of Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. So it's believed that this angel of the Lord is actually Jesus. He's not an angel, but he's a messenger. And he's standing there and he's stopping the son from being slain. And that very angel of the Lord will one day provide himself as the lamb. It says, uh, stop. I know that you uh, fear the Lord. That you love the Lord more than you love your own son, in a sense, because you haven't withheld your son. And maybe for you today, you'd underline verse 12, and maybe in the margin of your Bible, the Lord is speaking to you today because you have not withheld your fill-in-the-blank from me. You've not withheld your career from me. You've not withheld your toys from me. You've not withheld your girlfriend from me. You have nothing in your life that you esteem as better or more precious than me. I know you fear me now. I know that you worship me. I know that you trust me. I know that you love me. And then Abraham, verse 13, lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Isn't this a beautiful story? I hope it's cold, it's windy, it's blustery, but I hope you're loving this story. I hope you're loving this type of Jesus as the ram appears, although it's just the temporary ram, temporary ram. It's the temporary ram. It's a ram that will begin many other sacrificial rams on that mountain that will provide a covering over of sin for a couple thousand years until there at that place, the lamb of God will come and be slain for the sins of the world. But before we close with that thought, two little wonderful encouragements from, oh, do you feel that sun come out? Just enjoy it. I don't know how long it'll be. Just let your body warm up. 
Two wonderful, encouraging words from Matthew Henry about this moment of rescue from the angel of the Lord, bringing the ram caught in the thickets. Just listen. Number one from Matthew Henry. Our creature comforts are most likely to be continued to us when we are most willing to resign them up to God's will. So you have this creature comfort. You have Isaac. Do you love Isaac more than me, Abraham? And the answer is, no, I don't love him more than you. Put the brakes on. I know that you love me. But do you remember in the Gospels, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, hey, teacher, what must I do to uh, enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus looked at him and knew that he was a rich young ruler. And he said, for you... Go and sell all of your possessions, give them to the poor and come and follow me. But that rich young ruler turned and went away sad. Even though he kept all of the commandments and all of the law, there was this hot button topic in this young man's life that he would not be able to be a follower of Jesus and yet love money more than Jesus. That was the button in his life that Jesus pushed it And knew that that was the issue for him. And for you here at the park today, what's the issue for you? Everything I have is yours, Lord God. Except for this. Don't touch this. Except for her. Except for them. Except for it. Don't touch it, God. You are creator of the universe. You're awesome and mighty in power. But you stay away from this then the Lord will most likely be removing that from you or testing you to see how much you value that in comparison to him. And then uh, second thing, Matthew Henry spoke, God's time to help and relieve his people is when they are brought to the greatest extremity. The more imminent the danger is and the nearer to be put to execution the more wonderful and the more welcome is the deliverance. So three days journey, they're up at the mountain. They've got the fire. They've got the wood. They've got the altar built. They've got the lab laid down. The knife is raised up in the air and the Lord comes through and it makes a great testimony. It makes a great story. Trust the Lord with your story. Keep your eyes on him even when it seems to be the bitter end. Speaking of bitter end, let's wrap this thing up, huh? Verse 14, And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Oh, I hope you're catching the foreshadowing that's happening here. Abraham named this place on Mount Moriah. This place, it will be provided. Mount Moriah itself, the name means foreseen by Jehovah. This was a mountain where things would be foreseen by Jehovah. Mount Moriah is a very special place where many other important events would take place throughout biblical history. Mount Moriah is the place where in David's life, David was taking a census 
Something about his heart wasn't right in the way that it was taken. And the Lord caused a plague to come over Israel. And people were dying with this plague. And David was able to see the angel of the Lord striking people and killing them with this plague. And he cries out to the Lord for mercy. And that leads him to take and make an offering to the Lord. And so he goes to this place in Jerusalem called Arana's Threshing Floor. And it was there at Arana's Threshing Floor that he goes to buy Arana's oxen and wooden implements to make a sacrifice to end the plague that is killing all of the Israelites because of sin. It's a beautiful picture. Arana says, oh, my king, if you want my stuff, it's all yours. It's yours for free. And David says, how can I offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing? It's a great quote. But it was there at Arana's threshing floor. The threshing floor believed to be built upon the bedrock where the grain and the wheat would be threshed out. The bedrock of Mount Moriah where David, the grandfather of Jesus, would pay a great sum, a great price to slaughter an animal so that the, that the curse of sin would come to an end for the people of Israel. And that bedrock of Arana's threshing floor is the bedrock of Mount Moriah. Later on, Solomon, David's son, would build the temple upon Mount Moriah, upon the threshing floor of Arana, upon the same place where the ram was provided in the place of Isaac. It was the place where God would provide. And for thousands of years, the sacrificial system would be moved there to Mount Moriah and lambs and goats and turtle doves and burnt offerings and blood. It would all be shed, not as the, not as the end goal for our sins, but as a picture of what would need to happen. One would have to come, as Peter says, with blood that is spotless and pure and more precious than the lamb of blood of bulls and goats. And it would come and it would do such a great propitiatory work that it would cleanse our hearts from a wicked conscience and set us right with God. He would atone for our sins. So there on Mount Moriah, these wonderful stories took place that were all pointing to Jesus. And today you can go to Mount Moriah. Just last year I was there and you can take these tunnels underneath the Temple Mount where Solomon's temple sat. And you go underneath through all of these caverns and you're, you're actually following the foundation of the Temple Mount. You have your hand running on the Temple Mount that was chiseled out of bedrock. And as you're walking along, you, go, you walk for about 30 minutes with a tour guide. And you come to this peak of solid rock. It's the solid rock of Mount Moriah. It's believed that that is the place that Abraham offered up Isaac. It's one of the most special parts of a trip to Israel. But it was there that it was provided. The Lamb of God, as John the Baptist looked up there at the Jordan River, seeing Jesus come down and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You read the book of Revelation and you see Jesus in the book of Revelation, and he appears as a lamb who has been slain from before the foundations of the world. On the mount, it was provided when Jesus... And let me make this a little more Father's Day as we conclude. 
when the father gave his only son, the son that he loved on Mount Moriah to purge away our sins, to make us as white as snow and to redeem us as a people to himself. You can close your Bibles. We're done. But I just have to say this. In Hebrews chapter 11, when Abraham and Sarah are mentioned in the hall of faith, it says, by faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. Even though that was the guy that the whole promise was going to be through, that all those children's children's and children's children's was going to come through. It says he went and he did it. And you know why he did it? Because he trusted the Lord so much. Hebrews 11, I think it's verse 19 says that he concluded that even if he did plunge the knife into Isaac, even if he did light the fire and offer him up as a burnt offering, God was able to rise him from the dead. And then it goes on to say, and in fact, he did rise him from the dead in a figurative sense because Abraham, or Isaac was as good as dead. It's a beautiful picture. Trust the Lord. His promises are yes and amen. And even if it means you lose everything, guess what? You don't lose. You still win as you trust the Lord. 